Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today we have Olga Vadlaski. Olga was on episode GI31, and she's an attorney based in Miami, Florida, and focuses on international taxation, estate planning, and foreign tax compliance. Olga speaks English, Spanish, Russian, French, and Romanian. So thank you so much for being on the show, Olga. Thanks so much, Charles, for having me. And uh, I hope this episode is going to be useful to, uh, to your listeners. Yeah, I, I bet it will be. So give us a little uh, about your background prior to starting your current law firm. Sure. Um, so I started my career in, um, in actually in the accounting world in one of the big four accounting firms in the uh, mergers and acquisitions department. Then I moved through several um, mid-size accounting firms uh, where I would handle all of the consulting projects and the international clients. Uh, whether those were international families or international businesses that were trying to um, set up their presence here in the U.S., or those would be families or, again, businesses trying to invest in real estate, right? Whether it's for personal use, for um, investment, or whatever, whatever development, whatever the, the end goal was. Um, and I think the big advantage that you know my current practice um, can offer to the clients, and it's a big advantage to the clients as well, is that having this accounting background, um, you know, I kind of see the interplay right of the legal world with the accounting because I so often see how clients have a legal structure; they come from an attorney, but then there's that discrepancy as to how do I have to report it, what do I have to do with it. Um, and as your listeners might know, um, you know, IRS and the reporting uh, system in the U.S. is quite complicated and intricate. And sometimes even informational forms, if those are not done properly, um, the taxpayers can carry um, heavy penalties and, and consequences. So, um, you know, having this, um, you know, having my foot on both worlds, uh, which I do in my current practice, uh, we give. Um, the advice, the sort of the legal side, but we also do all of the compliance in-house as well. So that's a big advantage um, to the clients. So what are the main concentration areas that your firm's focusing on? I, I mentioned a few, and obviously mm -hmm. international taxation is one of them, but um, sure. what, is, what is what you're working on day-to-day -day with your clients uh, that they come to consult you with? Sure. So, you know, by virtue of our location here in South Florida, and specifically um, I'm located in Miami, <laughs> Um, the, the main concern always is we're moving to the U S and we would like to, um, maybe invest in real estate. What is the best structure? Um, so I advise clients on that. Um, and you know, maybe they're moving here on an investor visa. Um, so again, there are obviously all the implications. The U S is a worldwide taxation system. So it's always good to understand how that will affect the client prior to, uh, you know, the individual, the family uh, moving to the U.S. Um, maybe they want to structure her business or they want to open a subsidiary, a branch, um, you know, have some kind of presence here. Then again, there are, there are questions as to what is the best structure? What is the best entity? How would that affect my taxes in my local jurisdiction? 
Um, how can I minimize the taxes here? So all those questions, maybe they're coming from a tax treaty country. Um, so there could be advantages there for them. Um, you know, then obviously the state tax questions also come up if they plan to stay here for longer or they're still non-residents or they are US. So kind of all of those, um, you know, main questions from international taxation world uh, are always, you know, part of my day-to-day -day activity. And as I mentioned before, I also handle all of the compliance aspects. So if we already set up a structure, let's say we advise the client on, um, on the real estate structure, then we can handle that day to day. Uh, we do the accounting, we do the tax returns and whatever other um, reporting requirements that um, are necessary depending on the structure that is being implemented. Okay. So we'll have investors sometimes that'll reach out to us and kind of ask us, where do we start? So right. I kind of want to give like a little bit of a, a brief overview if we can. Mm -hmm. um, so a foreign investor consults with you about purchasing a piece of US real estate and they've never invested in the US before. How does mm -hmm. the legal and tax planning process unfold? What are, what are the main questions you're asking and how does mm -hmm. that impact the overall plan when let's say your initial consultation with them, right. figuring out uh, what, what do you want to know and how, mm -hmm. when, why is that so important? Right. So, um, you know, the first question I always ask if they are foreigners or they are U.S. tax residents, because oftentimes, you know, what we call here in the U.S. the incidental uh, U.S. person, um, especially in the Latin world, that is um, very common that, you know, maybe they were born here, uh, but the, the specific uh, client lives all his or her life abroad. So they might not even think that they're actually a U.S. tax resident, right? So that would obviously impact the type of structure that would suggest when they would be buying um, real estate in the U.S. So that is always the first question. Are you uh, a foreigner, foreigner, you know, in the, in, in the form that we think of from tax point of view, or you have a green card, or you are in the process of applying for a green card, or you are just spending uh, a certain amount of days in the U.S. here by virtue of which you would become a U.S. tax resident. Um, then always the question is, of course, what type of investment are you considering? Um, is it just the property for your personal use? Is it for rental use? Uh, maybe you're investing in a real estate fund. Uh, you will just be a passive investor. Um, sort of understanding what is the, uh, you know, the business model, so to speak. Um, then, of course, is what is the value of the property? Because, you know, we don't want to come up with some ultra sophisticated structure if the value is not that high, right? So usually I say if it's around uh, $500,000, let's say, um, I would not recommend anything sophisticated and maybe, you know, a life insurance would be fine in order to protect from estate tax purposes. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll get into estate tax purposes, which is a very big concern for, for foreigners, right? If we're discussing foreigners. Um, and then, and then again, to understand who would be the other investors, if it is, um, you know, if we're talking about a fund, because uh, by attribution from other investors, this foreigner could also have additional implications, right, for reporting purposes. So I always need to kind of know the big picture, you know, who are all the investors, what is the property, what is the purpose of the property? Is it for short term? Are you just flipping properties? And, you know, in two, three years, you're going to get rid of it. Or is this a long-term investment, you know, for their kids and grandkids and so on and so forth? And then, of course, we can think of estate planning 
concerns, right? Maybe there's need for trust or, you know, for something more um, to cover the future generations, right? Okay. Um, so I think those would be, you know, the, the main, obviously there are additional questions, but these would be the, the, main, um, the main concerns that I would have before suggesting anything. Interesting. Okay. So uh, we, we put together a book a few months ago and it was a guide we called uh, Foreign Investing in U.S. Real Estate. And if anybody wants to get it, they can go to usinvestingguide.com and get it there. But mm-hmm. you discussed a few different points that seem to be very important with foreign investors. Uh, the first being mm-hmm. the double taxation, which is something that interests uh, me as well when investing outside of the U.S. Um, as well right. as investing in the U.S. Obviously, I don't have that issue. But how does this mm-hmm. work with income in the U.S.? And are you consulting with clients and their accountants back home, which is something too, like you said, if there's a tax treaty. So mm-hmm. what, how does that work? Are you, when you're doing this, is it, um, I imagine if they have this type of money, they're coming here to invest, they might have uh, an accountant back home. And are you kind of passing stuff through them as you're making up their plan here? Sure, sure. And, you know, again, as I mentioned, if it's a, if, if the investor is coming from a tax treaty country, mm-hmm. that is always a big advantage. Um, because, you know, a simple example, uh, if we are doing some estate tax protection, uh, putting a foreign blocker in a structure, um, any distribution of dividends to that foreign entity, for instance, uh, would be taxed at a much lower rate than the general rate of 30%, because that is the tax rate upon withholding of dividends that are being sent to a foreign entity. Uh, So if we have a tax treaty, you know, in Latin America, again, I focus on Latin America by mm-hmm. virtue of our location here, but uh, in Latin America, they only, um, only two tax treaties. We only have Mexico and we have Venezuela, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. Venezuela is not that big of a player right now, but we have Mexico, which, um, you know, the, um, the withholding rate can come much lower from the 30% and can go down to five or to 10%, mm-hmm. right? Which is, which is a very considerable uh, difference. So, you know, again, the tax treaties always play a role. In Europe, we have much wider variety of treaties uh, if we have an investor from Europe. Um, so, yes, there's always an interplay of, of, you know, where they're coming from, who is, you know, if they, what, are, what is the tax rate that they pay in their local jurisdiction? And that's where the local accountant would come in. Because when we talk about double taxation, it doesn't literally mean that they have to pay, you know, X amount of taxes in their local jurisdiction and then X amount of taxes here in the U.S. Uh, There's the concept of what it call uh, federal tax credit, meaning that whatever taxes are already paid in the local jurisdiction, we can take some percentage here in the U.S. And, you know, that's where intricate um, math calculations and, you know, the ratios and so on and so forth that come into play. But, uh, you know, that's what double taxation is. We're trying to avoid that the taxpayer is double taxed, right? In right, the local right. jurisdiction and here in the U.S. Right. So you're, you, if you pay something here, you might pay the rest to a different country. So you might split it up exactly. between countries. I want to talk about something you just brought up, the, um, the 30% withholding. Because this is, so <laughs> say if there's a passive investor here in the United States. Mm-hmm. They make ten thousand dollars throughout the year. And say they're, like, I believe like Hong Kong doesn't have a, a um, doesn't have a tax treaty with the United States. Is that correct? So like if they're that now the sponsor on the group, the syndicator on that investment has to withhold 30% and mm-hmm. of that, and they're going to get that $7,000. Is that correct? And then they have to file a tax return for the following year to get that. Is that correct? Right. So usually they would apply in the corporate structure. You know, if they are an investor in a 
pass-through entity. When I say pass-through, it would be, you know, your typical partnership from a U.S. point of view. Um, so there wouldn't be withholding for them there, but the foreigner would just have to pay, you're right about paying taxes in the U.S. on whatever the share that corresponds um, to their percentage of investment, right? So they, mm -hmm. if they're, I don't know, 10% investor, uh, whatever, uh, whatever the net income is at the level of the partnership fund, uh, usually the funds uh, are structured as partnerships in the U.S., mm -hmm. um, then that would flow up to the foreigner. And then, yes, he or she would have to apply for tax ID in the U.S. and, and pay their share in the U.S. Uh, we do have um, progressive rates, so it kind of depends yeah. what, you know, what, what bracket they fall into, and then the tax would apply. Uh, but, you know, again, with real estate funds, they're always... Um, you know, a lot of expenses, deductions that the fund can take. Um, so, you know, depending again on the investment, um, the numbers will end up whatever they are, and then the invest the investor would be subject to tax in the U.S. Correct. Right. Yeah. Every every fund would be a little different, but just give exactly. a broad overview of kind of how it would sure. work. So I have a, like our, our firm here, we have several expat, like passive investors in our deals and they lived abroad. I have one that lived abroad for over a decade. And um, are there deductions from US taxes that expats can make? So I know, I, I, I think I, it's on earned income, but is that also available? And how does that work if it's available also on passive income? Right, so what you're mentioning is the foreign earned um, income exclusion. Um, you know, before anything, I just want to mention that there's the misconception that just because, you know, I live abroad and I'm an expat, right? I'm a U.S., but I live abroad. And, uh, you know, I heard about this, this exclusion, uh, which every year is adjusted for inflation. So I believe it's around 108 or around 100,000 um, for this year. Um, so just because I have it, I don't have to do anything. And that is a big misconception. Uh, the expats still have to file a tax return. They actually, there's a, there's a specific form that applies in order to claim this um, exclusion. Um, but yes, it, you know, there's certain requirements that you have to comply in order to qualify for this exclusion. Uh, you, know, you have to be a bona fide resident, what is called in the local jurisdiction. There is a certain amount of time that you have to live abroad. There's also an exclusion for um, your home that you have um, abroad. So, it, you know, it kind of depends on case, um, from case to case, but yes, the foreign earned um, income exclusion is, is, is a big advantage because you are literally excluding that income from your um, tax return in the U.S. and you wouldn't be subject to tax on that. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I was reading something mm -hmm. was 330 days they had a little broad. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like 11 months. So it's quite a time. It's not something that you're going to uh, uh, avoid yeah. with just being out of there for a few months, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. It's, it's, it's quite stringent. Yes, there's several requirements. What you're mentioning, yes, there's the 330 uh, days, then there's just uh, for the whole year. Uh, then if you're from a treaty country, then there's also a different requirement. So there's certain, um, certain things they have to comply with in order to qualify. So if an investor, a foreign investor wants to invest in the U.S. but does not want to become a resident, do mm -hmm. they need to disclose their foreign assets when you are developing this plan? Um, no, I mean, if they are, if they are purely a foreigner and they, you know, I always ask questions, I always ask the client if they are considering applying for, mm -hmm. um, for a green card or if they're planning to come here, because if that is true, then of course we have to look at the whole 
um, picture of their, you know, kind of get a snapshot of their worldwide assets. But if they're a pure foreign investor and they're just uh, coming to the U.S. for, um, you know, for for real estate investment, then uh, what we are concerned with is their U.S. source income, right? Because the difference between foreigners and U.S. tax resident is that foreigners are subject to tax on U.S. source income and U.S. tax residents are subject to tax on worldwide income. So those were the differences. Interesting. Okay. All right. Uh, the one thing that um, when I speak to people that are coming to invest, uh, it's also it's always a state taxes because it's something right. that differs dramatically from a U.S. citizen to a foreign yeah. investor. Is that something that uh, can you give us a little explain like how the effects of this for how it works for state taxes for a foreign investor? Sure. So, um, you know, we can take an example. I think example is always um, always at the best to understand to understand co- concepts. Um, so, you know, if we have if we have an investor who has a million, uh, the fair market value of the property is one million dollars. Um, at the time of death of the foreigner, assuming that he or she owns it in personal name, right? We'll take the the easiest um, scenario, which is not the best, Uh, but assuming that he or she has this property in their personal name, at the time of death, there's an estate tax that would apply, which would be 40% 40 on the fair market value, right? Which is a crazy consequence to foreigners once you mention it to them. Um, And they only have an exemption of 60,000, right? So you would take the million minus the 60,000, whatever is left, 940,000, and you would apply 40% on that, um, which is the dramatic difference between the foreigner and the US because while foreigners have only 60,000 uh, 60, um, exemption, uh, US individuals like myself, you Charles, we have uh, uh, currently over 11 million exemption, mm-hmm. right? For state tax purposes and for gift tax purposes. So that's why it is so important as I mentioned in the beginning of, of our conversation, the question is always, are you keeping it for long term? What is the value of the property? Um, are you actually a foreigner? Are you are you a U.S.? Are you planning to come to the to eventually to the U.S.? Uh, because then the planning comes into place. Um, the easiest planning is, of course, to uh, put a foreign blocker that I, I mentioned uh, prior. Uh, what would that do? That at the time of death, the foreigner would not have anything of U.S. source. What he or she would have would be shares of a foreign um, entity, for example, right? So that would not be US source and therefore state tax would not apply. So that is usually the easiest um, planning and the easiest recommendation upon purchasing um, purchasing real estate. But again, it, it depends what is the value of the property because you know the maintenance of an offshore company um, also has um, costs and, you know, um, yearly tax returns and so on and so forth. So again, it kind of depends on the specific numbers uh, and goals of the investor. Yeah, for sure. And that includes for uh, if they're invested, obviously in real estate, which is what we're talking about here, but also mm-hmm. just so people can keep into uh, uh, U.S. stocks and U.S. bonds. Correct. That's part of it too. So if they have that, correct. So if they would have you know a personal account again in their name and they would be investing in you know Apple stock or Google stock, whatever it might be, uh, because those are US source, um, those would also be subject 
to estate tax. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, certain U.S. bonds, um, government bonds, those are exempt. Um, you know, if you just have a simple checking account, that would also be exempt. So with the state tax there, um, you kind of, you know, what, what we do, for example, if we have an unfortunate case of a, of a client passing away, um, we actually have to request the portfolio breakdown from the financial institution and go line by line and seeing what exactly they have because certain things from that portfolio could be exempted. Okay, very interesting. Yeah, so it's, there's some nuances between U.S. investors and foreign for investors sure. here in the U.S., but uh, it all just comes down to two. You're having a plan and a plan for someone that has a million dollars versus someone that has $100,000 or less. It's going to exactly. be completely different. So it really just reach out to Olga and she can uh, kind of go over everything with you with your specific situation. I want to kind of open it up to you a little bit and kind of see, mm -hmm. are there any other typical questions or issues that foreign investors might mm -hmm. have that we have not addressed? So what are you typically answering to people if we haven't covered sure. it here or mm -hmm. uh, concerns that you think are very important mm -hmm. that people should be aware of that they usually don't ask about? So Sure. Um, there's one thing that I think is important and I would like to mention it, the concept of exit tax. Um, mm. So, you know, foreigners, if assuming that they already entered the US, you know, they're investors and then eventually, you know, they invested in a real estate fund, but then they decided to move to the US, um, they need to be aware that there is a concept of exit tax. Um, and I'm mentioning this because I actually have two clients currently uh, who I'm dealing with with this issue and they were completely unaware that this is applicable to them. Um, so exit tax applies in certain circumstances, um, there are various requirements, but one of them, which is the most common, is if the individual has over two million in net worth mm -hmm. upon exiting the US. Um, and there are also time requirements in order to be subject to this exit tax. Um, in, in the case of a green card is if the individual uh, is maintaining a green card for eight years over the last 15 years, right? So um, if, that um, is true, then the next step would be to see what is the net worth of this um, taxpayer. So if the, next if the net worth is over 2 million, then the exit tax would apply. What does that mean? That uh, the day prior to expatriation, um, the, we basically look at all of the assets and we assume that everything was sold, right? So you technically not selling it, but you will be subject to capital gains tax. So if we're talking about a considerable net worth, uh, there could be considerable consequences, right? Uh, and it includes everything. Again, worldwide assets, right? Real estate here, uh -huh. real estate abroad, uh, bank accounts, investment, uh, you know, just think of a simple investment account, right? That they might be holding in their um, home jurisdiction. So that would be subject to exit tax as well. Uh, it's as if they would be selling their stocks and their bonds and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, it's good to advise the client before because there are obviously a lot of strategies that we can come up with and advise the client how to mitigate this exit tax prior to actually going to the consulate in their jurisdiction and relinquishing the green card. So um, it's a concept that is often overlooked and I do like to mention it to clients. Uh, you know, even if they just consider coming to the US, it is something to think about and kind of keep it in the back of the mind because it's something we can plan for. 
Interesting. Uh, just on that too, because you brought it up. What is it when they're uh, when they're leaving? Is it, it takes because I had a uh, I had a business person that was looking at mm-hmm. doing that, and they're talking to me about it, and it was like, it's like it takes uh, so many months for them to at least uh, just get the appointment right to do it, especially with COVID, to if they want to leave the U.S. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, currently, you know, because of COVID, all yeah. the um, all the government bodies are, are a little bit delayed. Um, but basically how it works with exit tax is uh, there's a form that you fill out. And I believe it's called, you know, relinquishing lawful permanent resident. Uh, there's an actual form that you fill out. And once you give that form and you sign it, you date it. Once you give that form to the consulate, that would be the date um, effective your, uh, you know, departure from US. And from mm-hmm. that moment on, uh, the taxpayer is treated as a non-resident. So he or she would be subject to tax only on U.S. source income. Okay. Um, and often when that happens is, you know, it, it sort of splits the year. Let's say if the taxpayer leaves in the middle of the year and doesn't wait till December 31st, then from a compliance point of view, you have to make sure that you do a tax return for half a year as a U.S. Wow. resident and then for half a year as a non-resident. Um, but yes, I mean, there are more intricacies, um, you know, maybe we can do another podcast just, just on this topic, uh, For sure. not, not, not just scare, not just scare your clients, but, but the important, um, you know, the, the takeaway is that it's just important to discuss all of this, uh, various concepts and there are planning, uh, strategies that can be implemented, um, as long as we know in advance what the plans of the client are. Interesting. Okay. Well, I appreciate that kind of going on a little tangent there, but as we're fi- uh, f- finalizing everything now, um, can is there any other common mistakes that you see foreign investors make when investing in the U.S.? Um, sure. Just, you know, the most common one, and when I gave the example about the estate tax, um, purchasing real estate in personal name, it is yeah. almost never a good strategy um, because later, um let's assume that this was already done and the client comes to me with the structure. Um, it is doable, you can change it, but there are additional costs and implications for the client that can obviously be avoided from the beginning. Uh, you know, then we have the concept of FERPTA, uh, which is another mechanism would apply, what, that applies uh, to specifically to real estate um, upon a foreigner disposing of property in the US. So we could pass this property to a foreign blocker, for example, but there would be further implications. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the most common mistake. And usually, you know, when, when they're closing the real estate agent or the real estate um, attorney, they don't involve, or maybe, you know, the tax attorney was not there from the beginning. Um, so it, it's just important to kind of implicate all the parties from the beginning, right? From a real estate point of view, from tax point of view, from accounting point of view, uh, to to present a, um, a beneficial structure from the beginning. And I always like to avoid this additional cost to the client that can be prevented from the beginning. Yeah, okay, perfect. Uh, that's very informative, thank you. And so where can our listeners learn more about you and your firm, Olga? Uh, sure. So um, my my law firm name is OV Law Group. Uh, there's the website. I think it's at the bottom of our um, of our podcast. And um, there's my number, my email, and I'm more than happy to to answer any questions that your listeners might have. 
Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I will put that link into the show notes and uh, hopefully we can connect here in the near future as Florida is reopening and the U.S. is reopening. Yes, that would be great. Thank you so much, Charles. And uh, hope, yes, we can meet in person eventually. Uh, I already forgot what it is to hang out in person. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thanks, Charles. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.